So we are so, so, so excited um, because we get to have Chelsea Gerlach with us this morning, which is uh, personally for me, incredibly exciting because Chelsea is a friend from seminary. And so um, I want to better give you a picture of who Chelsea is kind of by like taking to us being in seminary together. Um, I met Chelsea in a couple of different classes, but the class that sticks out to me is that I was in a pastoral ministry class with Chelsea and two other women. Um, and I vividly remember Chelsea and I having conversations where it was clear to me that Chelsea had a calling to be a pastor and a gift set that would be incredible for a community. And also she was clearly in a community that wasn't honoring that and wasn't going to call her that. Um, and as a female pastor, um, that's an incredibly painful place to have someone and to know someone so gifted and to know that they're not being given kind of the space and the voice to like take flight. And so what's so exciting to me about having Chelsea here is that like we get to be a part of the process of Chelsea taking flight today. And that to me is what Cascade is about is giving voice to people who haven't been always handed voices in church settings and say what you're doing and the work you do, it matters. And you were meant to be in this space. So Chelsea, you're a gift to us. Um, we're just so grateful that you agreed to be here. Um, yeah. And so we're going to let Chelsea take it in one second. So sorry, Chelsea. Um, but before Chelsea gets to talk to us, that's good. She... I'm just like crying a little. So I need a minute to get myself <laughs> together because that was very kind, Sarah. <laughs> um, but so before Chelsea gets started, Chelsea is, can talk a ton about climate and all the things that Kurt and I are not as knowledgeable on. And so that's to me just like thrilling that on a day that we are seeing some climate things happening, that we get to actually have this conversation. Um, but before that, we want to go ahead and start off our time with this question. The question or the thought to share is to share about a time you had a profound or memorable experience in nature. Kurt, do you want to go first to think of one? Yeah, yeah there is uh, not all that far from our house. There's a little park and the backside of the park has this little trail um, and you're in a neighborhood, but then you go 10 feet down the trail and you're just immediately in the midst of this old, beautiful forest. Um, and it doesn't go on very long before you start trailing alongside a road. But just for that little bit, I have vivid, uh, beautiful memories of my two boys uh, sprinting down that trail and just being, it's a full canopy of green that we're just fully um, a part of that's so close to our house. And it's just a reminder of how I think why it's so profound is it's just a reminder that even though um, nature feels so far away at times, it feels so concrete and feels so industrial and commercial. Um, there's a nearness to the natural world that we are a part of and is inescapable. And to get reconnected with that, I think is uh, really significant. Mm, I love that. I was thinking um, of two big experiences. The first one was when I hiked Half Dome in college, because I don't really think that I knew what Half Dome exactly was, except for that I should probably do it. And it was just something I signed up to go on this trip, like for a weekend with a friend and other students at APU. And um, I didn't quite realize that like we were going to be hiking through the entire night and that the goal was that we would be coming up during sunrise. There's just kind of a lot of things maybe I didn't process about the experience, but, um, I think when we got up half dome and I don't know if you've done, but like, you have to go up like those chain things and you have gloves, like it's kind of a scary ending of the trip. 
Um, and I remember getting to the top for sunrise and just thinking that God was so much bigger than I had ever processed. Like, it just was like this profound, like, I didn't know this was going to be profound, but I felt like I had almost like kind of fallen into this experience. It was also very cold in that moment. I was not dressed appropriately, but um, that's kind of like the profound and memorable moment of just looking around me and realizing, whoa, like this is stunning. I can't believe I'm here. And then I get the privilege to be here. Chelsea, do you have a moment that comes to mind for you? And as Chelsea, as you get started, we would love for all of you to be sharing with one another in the chats. When's a, a time or a moment that you've had a profound or memorable experience in nature? Sorry, go ahead, Chelsea. Yeah, what comes to me is actually a season where I was working in full-time ministry and um, started practicing a weekly Sabbath, and I would go on a hike every Saturday. And it really became this um, t- like very necessary touch point that was restorative and restful and that I could... Um, experience the transcendence of God um, and kind of release the tension that I had built up through the week um, and then um, kind of re-enter into that work. Um, So having that regular rhythm to me was really significant. Mm -hmm. I love that. Uh, Katie shared a backpack experience in Yosemite, recognizing how many different trees God had made and known. Katie did like multiple, like pretty intense backpacking in Yosemite when she was at High Sierra, one of them being all in snow and trek and some being in the fall. So sorry, Katie, but those were too intense to not share about. Uh, Sarah uh, loves Sabbath walks and hikes. I love that. Oh, we've got a lot of Yosemite energy today. <laughs> oh my gosh, Erica, same seeds. Love it. Also, I, it's not many times I get to talk about this. I grew up just outside. Well, I grew up in the town of Escalon, went to Escalon High School. Escalon means stepping stone, and it's the stepping stone to Yosemite. It's not particularly close, but I was gonna say I don't think of it as close at all. No, but if you're coming from the Bay Area, you definitely go through Escalon to get to Yosemite. That makes sense. Okay, Ted, hiking the Inca Trail for five days and pushing myself to my physical limits. Wow. Yeah, I bet. Marilyn, watching the sunrise on top of oh gosh, on a volcano in Maui. I don't, I didn't want to mess it up. I just, a lot of vowels. Heliacala. Yeah. I felt, I feel really good about that. It could be very wrong. I feel great about that, Sarah. Sorry, Marilyn, if I mess that up. Um, Mark driving across Montana, taking a break in the middle of the night in the middle of nowhere. Oh, wow. Looking up and my breath taken away by the stars in the sky. There's a reason it's referred to as a big sky. Oh, I love that. Um, my uncle has a song about big sky full of dumb stars. So that feels, it resonates. Um, Josue waking up in the still of the morning in front of an Alpine Lake in the middle of the Wallawas. Yes. Wow. Mm-hmm. Kristen, I used to go weekly to Yakets. Thank you. A small town on the Oregon coast and sit at smelt sands beach and paint in a right until the sunset. Wow. Those were the closest moments I've ever felt to God in his creation. This makes me feel like we should do like a bunch of like outdoorsy Sundays, right? Like we're like, okay, let's choose everyone's favorite outdoorsy experience and go do it together. So sorry. Okay. Uh, Sierra, when I used, lived in Lentz, I used to hike up Mount Scott to the Lincoln Cemetery and meditate and read. I remember one summer evening when I watched the sunset and felt the warmth of God's presence with me. Devin, the first time I got to stand at the edge of the Grand Canyon. I love it. Okay. Last one. Danielle hiked to the international peace pagoda in Nepal on Christmas Eve. I I mean, a lot of questions. That's incredible. 
That's an incredible sentence right there. That yeah. is a, a On Christmas Eve in 2014? Wow. And then being surrounded by wild poinsettias. I mean, that is... What? I didn't know there were such a thing as a wild poinsettia. <laughs> That's amazing. I thought they were just native to Walmart. That's so they weird. They really <laughs> did for a minute there. That's incredible, Danielle. Wow. Love that. Wow, Love thank that. you everyone for sharing. These are incredible. I feel like I've just been taken with you. So mm-hmm. Chelsea, will you take us from here? Yes, yes, yes. Um, Thanks everyone for sharing. I love this. I am really excited to be here. I um, left my job in a church about six months ago and have not been into a church since then. So it's kind of ironic that even as I'm preaching, I'm still not in a church. (laughs) Um, But I love that Cascade feels like a place that I could bring just my whole self and all of the messiness of it. And we get to do this together. Um, We are going to talk about some difficult topics today. Um, As Sarah mentioned, um, we're going to get into climate change. Um, I'm going to share a little bit about my time in prison, which is some difficult memories for me. Um, We're going to touch on sin, which is always super fun to talk about, um, forgiveness, embodiment. Um, So we're going to move pretty pretty quickly through this, but we're also going to take some pauses and just want to give you permission to take care of yourself in the midst of talking about some difficult things. Um, Super grateful for the groundwork that has already been laid in this series as you've been going through Mary's song, um, the idea of Jesus bringing a paradigm of power with rather than power over. Sarah's sermon on grief, um, giving us permission to feel the weight of loss because it is a reflection of the depth of our love, um, and also how grief can reframe how we see things and what we prioritize. Um, And then Kurt last week talking about um, asking questions, asking difficult questions, and how we can change our worldview based on new information. Um, And that we can sit in uncertainty, even though that can be uncomfortable. but the world is complex and we can seek to live with integrity within those complexities. Um, So as I'm sharing with you today, I'm sharing in the spirit of um, sharing some things that I have experienced, some things that I have learned, um, not as an authority that um, you have to believe what I say because I am in this position and you're listening to me, Um, more in the spirit of creating shared meaning as a community through dialogue. So I love that we've had some dialogue already um, uh, this morning. Um, so we are going to start out with, um, this is, I got a little carried away maybe with my slides. This was my title. It will make sense as we get through it. Um, we are going to start um, with something I learned actually in the course of doing research for this sermon. Um, this man, his name is Lyman Stewart, and he financed um, a series of publications that launched and um, kind of Uh, motivated the fundamentalist movement in American church history. Um, And he was also an oil baron, it turns out. He made his money as one of the founders of Union Oil in California. Um, If this was a silent movie, this is where we would all go, boo, hiss, um, because this will be the villain of our story this morning. Um, He believed that faith is more about cognitive assent to doctrine rather than how I would define the gospel as relationships of self-giving love. Um, But he's actually known in um, the journals of church history for the ways that he combined capitalism, kind of the logic and techniques of capitalism with religious work. Um, I would say that that was a bad development. Um, He also believed in the rapture. Um, So kind of this literal interpretation of scripture um, that, you know, popularized by the Left Behind series that a select group of faithful will be caught up in the clouds, um, taken away from this kind of sinful, dirty, um, physical uh, earth. 
Um, that is actually a heresy. It's the heresy of Gnosticism. Um, in the Bible, heaven comes to earth. Um, but these ideas have gotten a lot of popularity, particularly within American evangelicalism. And I think that um, has contributed to the fact that white Christians are um, the least concerned demographic about climate change uh, and the most skeptical about it. Um, so we're going to talk a little bit about science this morning, um, not because I think that we have to, I have to convince you of uh, that climate change is real or that humans contribute to it, um, but just kind of a, as a practice um, of integrating faith and science. Um, I think we've seen the repercussions of what happens when we don't do that with COVID. Um, and there is a history um, within the Christian tradition um, that supports this, um, even within traditions that hold a high view of scripture, such as the Reformed tradition. This is their doctrinal confession, which was adopted in 1561. It says, we know God by two means, one being scripture, but first, it says first, by the creation, preservation, and government of the universe, since that universe is before our eyes, like a beautiful book in which all creatures, great and small, are as letters to make us ponder the invisible things of God, God's eternal power and divinity. As the Apostle Paul says in Romans 1.20, all these things are enough to convict humans and leave them without excuse. Um, so we're going to look at that book of creation, and there is a field that is specialized to making observations about the universe, analyzing them, um, and that is science. So we're going to talk just a little bit about the science of climate change. Um, this is from the International um, Intergovernmental Inter Panel on Climate Change, which is a UN working group. Um, 235 climate scientists um, from 65 different countries were involved in making this. Um, also, they reviewed 80,000, almost 80,000 different comments. So this is really peer review at its best. Um, and they have found that the climate is in fact already warming. So 1.1 degrees centigrade is the warming that we have already experienced. Um, and it's important to keep in mind as we look at these figures that the rest of the world uses centigrade. We are familiar with temperature in Fahrenheit, which is almost twice as much. So that's two degrees Fahrenheit that the planet has already raised. Um, but warming is not even. Um, oh, and uh, we'll do the next slide. So these are um, projections of what warming will continue under different levels of emissions. Um, so these, the different colors represent different future scenarios um, where the top being like, we just keep burning all the coal, we just keep developing along this fossil fuel economy. Um, and then the lower one being, we really drastically change direction um, and move very quickly towards um, more sustainable energy. Um, and then some various scenarios in between. So there's a lot of um, flexibility in what the future might hold. Um, this map is showing that warming, um, when we say like two degrees Fahrenheit, that's an average over the entire planet, but warming is not actually evenly distributed. So this is three degrees of warming in the tropics, but that looks like six degrees in the Arctic. Um, so that's a very bad news for polar bears. Um, also, um, so this slide is from an MIT uh, lecture from this last year. I think it's important to know where information is coming from. So I want to identify that. 
Um, this shows uh, extreme heat, deadly heat, in fact, and you'll notice that it is around the tropics, and that's because of humidity. Um, humans cool ourselves by sweat. If you've ever been in the south of the, of the United States in the summertime, you know that doesn't work when it's really humid. Um, so these are parts of the world where for some significant part of the day, um, given four degrees of warming, um, it will be dangerous to go outside because your body won't be able to cool itself. Um, you'll also notice that for the most part, the countries that are most impacted by this are not the countries that have contributed the most to the emissions that are causing um, global warming. The United States is the number one um, historic contributor to the emissions that are now causing the planet to warm. So there's a justice issue there. Um, and then here where we live in Western North America, um, there will also continue to be more hot extremes. So as we experienced with the heat dome um, in this last year, there will be more of those events. Um, and the, uh, on, on this graph, it says that uh, there's a medium level of confidence that those increase in um, extreme hot temperatures is due to human contributions. Um, and I like that when you have so many scientists trying to agree on something, sometimes what they can all agree on is medium. Um, so they're also honest about the places where there's maybe some dis disagreements or where the models are not clear. Um, climate is very complex. Um, there's a lot of different dynamics going on. We've never seen this before. Um, so the, um, there, and there's localized effects, um, like maybe more snow um, in certain parts uh, of the world in certain times of the year, um, like we are having now. Um, so more hot extremes um, and also more drought um, in the Western, uh, in Western North America. And that's again with a medium level of confidence. Um, and then this next picture, I took this at the coast, actually. Um, I spent some time there this fall and a local conservation organization put this up um, during the king tides, which are especially high tides. Um, and they wanted people to know what those especially high tides will look like in the coming years with rising sea levels. Um, so it says, uh, the projections are uh, sea level rise from one to seven feet by 2100. Um, so you may have seen in the news, there was just recently a global conference on climate change. Most countries in the world um, took part in that and they agreed um, to limit uh, future emissions. Um, and the calculations that were made based on the commitments that um, were made at that conference would result in 2.4 degrees of warming. Um, again, that's Celsius. Um, but it's worth noting that um, it's called the COP26 because it's the 26th time that they have met. They've been meeting um, since 1994, in fact. Um, and in those 26 years, very few countries have kept their commitments to reduce emissions, um, the United States being one that has not kept our commitment. Um, so what does that look like? Um, 2.4 degrees Celsius of warming. Um, this uh, shows various different impacts um, on different levels of warming. Um, wanted to point to the um, food supply instabilities that will already occur at 2.4 degrees. The purple on this graph means widespread irreversible impacts. Um, but also want to notice that there are, um, that there's latitude here. So there's a, a every bit of emission, every bit of warming matters. Um, it can get, we can get into this black and white thinking that, oh, it's all terrible. Um, so why even bother making an effort? Um, every effort makes a difference. Um, there is some uh, range of possibilities from just bad to very, very terrible. So we want to avoid the very, very terrible and take whatever actions um, we can um, to change this trajectory. 
Um, so I want to take a pause here. That's a lot of information, a lot of heavy information um, to check in with ourselves, check in with your body. Notice, I know I am feeling like a tightness in my chest. Um, maybe you're feeling in your stomach. Um, there are good reasons um, to feel like this is overwhelming. Um, it's something that feels like it's out of our control. And then in those situations, our brain is wired to kind of trip us into this fight or flight, um, fight, flight, or freeze response. Our amygdala is active because this is a threatening situation to us. Um, and it's just good to be aware of that, of those responses that we have um, and know that we, uh, whatever you're feeling in this moment, um, it's normal. It's a, it's a normal human reaction to this type of information. Um, and kind of our, just our, our, um, our first response is kind of a numbing and wanting to push it away. Um, so just want to um, normalize that and also say to give yourself grace um, in the midst of those feelings. Um, there's very good reasons to be upset. Um, want to be honest about my own reaction. Um, when I see information like this, I get very angry. Um, I get angry at the Lyman Stewarts of the world. Um, and uh, other people are starting to get angry about this. This was a book that came out um, earlier this year called How to Blow Up a Pipeline. Um, it's actually a kind of a philosophical argument. Um, you can go to the next slide. Um, for damaging property um, as a method um, to combat climate change because government systems don't appear to be able to make the changes necessary. Um, this is an argument that was really attractive to me um, back in the 90s. And I did, in fact, it, it essentially engage in those types of actions. I became an environmental activist um, as a teenager and got frustrated that my efforts were not making a difference. Um, and so used more and more radical tactics. I got involved with a group called the Earth Liberation Front that damaged government and business property for um, environmental um, reasons. And that ended me, uh, ended up uh, putting me in prison. The government actually considered it to be terrorism, even though we didn't hurt anyone. Um, I was placed in a maximum security um, prison and I was facing a life sentence at one time. Um, everything in, everything was pretty much stripped away from me. Um, and yet I found in that maximum security cell facing a life sentence um, that there was a grace that I was held within this divine matrix. And it, I didn't know how I was gonna get out of it, but I felt like I was gonna be okay. Um, there was this sense of peace, the sense that I was being cared for. Um, and that was a big surprise to me because I wasn't raised with any religion, so I didn't have any ideas that God was with me necessarily. Um, but reflecting on these, this experience of peace and love in this situation that was very, very bad, I thought, I think this is what people are talking about when they're talking about God. Um, I spent a ton of time meditating during my time in max security prison. Um, and pretty much I ended up doing eight years and pretty much spending that whole time on a spiritual journey of wanting to know what is this, what is this about? Um, and ended up making the decision to follow Jesus as a model of dying to the self, um, doing self-giving actions of love. Um, and for me, that was not only doing kind of these righteous actions that I had been doing in activism, but also being willing to die to my own righteousness, um, to admit that I don't have the world on my shoulders and I don't have all of the answers, um, but that I can trust um, that there is goodness, there is basic goodness in the universe that is unfolding and that I can participate in. 
Um, Richard Rohr kind of talks about this. Um, he says limit situations. So a limit situation is like me being in prison. Um, I can't do all the things that I want to do. I think pandemic is also a limit situation. Um, maybe because of Omicron, you're not able to gather for the holidays like you would want to. Um, and I think climate change also is a limit situation. There are ecological limits to our economic growth. Um, but Richard Rohr gives us some hope in the midst of this, that limit situations are moments usually accompanied by experiences of dread, responsibility, guilt, or anxiety, in which the human mind confronts its restrictions and boundaries and allows itself to abandon false securities of this limitedness, move beyond, and one hopes in a positive way to thus enter into new realms of self-consciousness. This is what happened to me in prison, a new self-consciousness um, around what I had been doing and what I can continue to do in the world. And I think that we as, um, as collectively as a society are in one of these moments where we have an opportunity to come into a new consciousness um, as a society and to mature. Um, my story is a little bit unusual, um, but I see parallels um, with the biblical prophets. Um, it can be hard to read the prophets. There's a lot of wrath and judgment. Um, I notice in particular that evil is often personified as feminine um, in the Bible, um, but we can keep in mind that this was a patriarchal culture 2,600 years ago, um, a very different culture. Um, but within that, you know, looking at the cultural context and how we are in a different culture today, I do think that we can look at the prophets as a template for collective grief and confronting injustice. Um, Walter Brueggemann in The Prophetic Imagination gives us um, kind of this framework saying that numbness is broken only by the embrace of negativity, by the public articulation that we are fearful and ashamed of the future we have chosen. The pain and regret denied only immobilizes. Criticism must be faced and embraced for then comes liberation. This feels particularly pertinent to me um, as we think about climate change, that it can be paralyzing. Um, we can get stuck in this numbness about it. Um, but there is a liberation on the other side of the criticism. So a prophet that has um, particularly spoken to me is Jeremiah. Um, Jeremiah says, we look for peace, but find no good for a time of healing. But there is terror instead. My joy is gone. Grief is upon me. My heart is sick. Uh, next slide. How long must, this land, must the land be parched and the grass in every field be withered? How long must the animals and the birds die because of the wickedness of the people who live in this land? Jeremiah um, particularly speaks to me because he was imprisoned. Um, he uh, uh, preached for about 40 years leading up to the fall of Jerusalem. Um, he did not prevent the fall of Jerusalem. That still happens. Um, as we talked about, climate change is already happening and it will continue to happen. Um, but the prophetic imagination calls us to be honest um, about that critique. Um, it also calls us to trust and look for where is God in the midst of this bad situation. Um, so we can look to Isaiah, um, who says, behold, I am doing a new thing. Now it springs forth. Do you, um, do you not perceive it? Um, the freedom of God, the transcendence of God opens up new possibilities that we could not imagine on our own and we could not create on our own. Um, it is precisely because the old order is falling away. So Brueggemann calls this the royal consciousness. 
Um, it's the consciousness of numbness that supports the king. Um, we might in our context call that industrial capitalism or corporate religion or the myth that consumerism can satisfy our deepest longings. Um, I think it's becoming increasingly clear that those things do not satisfy, um, that salvation does not lie in these systems of oppression. Um, and that gives some space to look for what is the new thing that is emerging? Um, what is God doing? in the midst of climate change, of this bad situation. I would say um, that the union of humanity and divinity um, that we see in Jesus, but we also are called to embody through self-giving love is healing the brokenness in ourselves and the brokenness in the world. Um, great book called Salvation Means Creation Healed talks about this. Um, I love that they, um, they talk about sin as alienation. Um, so with sin, there's an alienation of man and woman from God, from ourselves, from each other, and from the earth. Sin, in effect, triggered a divorce between heaven and earth. And salvation is about overcoming this divorce both now and in the future. Um, so we, we can think about sin as alienating, um, but salvation as reconnecting. What was and is actually interconnected, we make separate. Um, so sin is not just personal. Um, there are implications for the entire living community when we have a break between humanity and divinity. Um, but that union of humanity and divinity in salvation heals us and heals the earth. Um, so we had um, the boo hiss, that toxic theology that the sacred is all in the clouds. Um, but the good news of the gospel is that heaven comes to earth, that we can participate in the kingdom of God in the here and now, that we can reconnect to God, that we can reconnect to our deepest selves, we can reconnect with each other, and we can reconnect to the land. Um, climate change can feel like um, an abstract issue, kind of a massive issue, um, but I believe that it's intimately tied to reclaiming our own creatureliness before God. Um, I love what Shellis Glendening um, says, she's a psychologist, and says, to open our hearts to the sad history of humanity and the devastated state of the earth is the next step in the reclamation of our bodies, the body of our human community, and the body of the earth. Um, we get to find the sacredness of our own beautiful bodies, the sacredness of the food that we eat, of the ground that we stand on, and to be in the world, to, to receive the earth as the visible outworking of a good God creating beauty and abundance. And to receive that as a grace, not something that we had to work for, but as something that we get to receive and enter into. Um, and then for me, out of that being... Um, that, that rootedness in an experience of grace, um, I could come to a place of forgiveness, which is an ongoing process. It's not a one-time thing, um, but one to forgive myself um, for what I have done and what I have not done, um, to forgive the Lyman Stewarts of the world for their misguided theology. Um, and and I, I got there because I learned, um, again, just through my own very difficult experiences, that holding judgment for myself and holding judgment for the other is corrosive to the soul. So I need um, a regular practice of receiving grace um, so that my actions in the world can be rooted and grounded in love. So we're gonna do a practice um, like that this morning. Um, 
in the time that I have not been going to church, I have continued to meditate um, as I started um, way back um, in prison and 2005. So this has been um, something that has a deep significance in my own spiritual journey. Um, I understand that you've done some centering prayer um, in your community. So I'm not going to do a ton of instruction, but we'll give you some of the basics. Um, personally, I love um, how Cynthia Bourgeau talks about centering prayer. Her book is called The Heart of Centering Prayer. And she says that it is consenting um, to sorry, consenting to the presence and action of God um, is what we're doing here. So um, just a little bit of instruction. You could find yourself in a comfortable posture. Um, you're welcome to close your eyes if you'd like, or just have kind of a soft focus in front of you. We'll take a few breaths, um, breathing all the way to the bottom of the belly. Notice your breath coming in and going out. And you can use your breath as um, your focus, or you could choose a sacred word or a name of God or a short phrase if you'd like. And when you notice that your attention has gone away from this moment. Maybe you are planning what you're going to do in the snow later today. Maybe you're remembering um, wonderful things that have happened in the last few days. When you notice that your attention has gone from this present moment, just very gently bring your attention back to your breath or back to your sacred word. And then again, three seconds later, when you notice your attention has wandered, again, bringing your attention back. And this is the whole of the practice, just again and again, consenting to the presence and action of God. Practicing dying to ourselves, giving up our own will, our own agenda our attachment to our own opinions and thoughts. And just resting in the receiving of God's goodness and love. We're going to do just two minutes of silence, and then I'm going to read a poem um, that will be our benediction this morning. In praise of the earth, let us bless the imagination of the earth that knew early the patience to harness the mind of time, waited for the seas to warm, ready to welcome the emergence of things dreaming of voyaging among the stillness of land. And how light knew to nurse the growth until the face of the earth brightened beneath a vision of color. 
when the ages of ice came and sealed the earth inside an endless coma of cold, the earth, the heart of the earth held hope, storing fragments of memory, ready for the return of the sun. Let us thank the earth that offers ground for home and holds our feet firm to walk in space open to infinite galaxies. Let us salute the silence and certainty of mountains, their sublime stillness, their dream-filled hearts, the wonder of a garden trusting the first warmth of spring until its black infinity of cells become charged with dream. Then the silent slow nurture of the seed's self coaxing it to trust the act of death. The humility of the earth that transfigures all that has fallen of outlived growth. The kindness of the earth opening to receive our worn forms into the final stillness. Let us ask forgiveness of the earth for all our sins against her and for our violence and poisoning of her beauty. Let us remember within us the ancient clay, holding the memory of seasons, the passion of the wind, the fluency of the water, the warmth of fire, the quiver touch of the sun and shadowed sureness of the moon that we may awaken to live the full, to live to the full, the dream of the earth who chooses us to emerge and incarnate its hidden night in mind, spirit, and light. Amen. Thank you so much. Uh, thank you, Chelsea. Chelsea, when you were talking, I was just thinking, um, I think it's few people that can take you through a transition of like holding, like I was feeling the tenseness, my jaw was tightening up when you showed us the science. Like I know the science, obviously I've looked at it before, but every time you see it again, it's like that panic feeling um, and can move us from like, here's the science, like let's own like that this exists. And then um, not to numb out from that, like to not excuse that feeling, which I think is so important. Like let's, let's see it and let's look at it. And then let's also though, like move in a direction of like, we're not going to just be mad at someone that denies this. Like that to me is completely, it reverses the narrative of othering, right? Cause we can other the person that we've decided is wrong in the same way as what someone can feel othered in terms of like not being listened to about global warming. Like it happens both ways. And so yes, I think that was, yeah. what was so powerful for me is that you helped transition. Um, yeah, it makes me emotional. I was listening to NPR this week about some of the climate facts and like with on the daily. And I was thinking about um, how, that in the future with my daughter Kinsley, I'm sure there'll be a conversation of like, what, what were you talking about with climate, right? Like what were you doing or not doing that we got here? And now like you've given Kinsley and other generations, you know, and it just, it feels so in front of our faces. It used to feel so distant and I know it wasn't right, but it was easy to make it feel distant, but it feels right in front of me, if that makes sense. So I just appreciate it. We appreciate you so much.